Hey, everybody, welcome to Practical Multiplication with Myron Pierce and Ralph Moore. And I forgot about the meeting today. I haven't shaved. I haven't showered. Had to put this hat on my gunky looking old hair. And uh, but we're excited. We got Troy Evans with us. Uh, he's a pastor of a church called The Edge in Grand Rapids, Michigan, urban setting. Uh, something I know very little about, and I'm really, really excited to be hearing from Troy and and welcome, Myron. Yeah, it's good to good to be back. I've been gone for a month. Yeah, you look better, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, Troy, tell us about yourself, man. I I know so little. You know, I pastored in suburban, 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 and then uh, last few years we were in urban Honolulu, but it's definitely a middle class church. So the only thing that I know about the difficulties that you encounter is uh, we had parking problems. You know, people lived in apartments and you couldn't park a car. So I know pretty much nothing. So um, just, you know, fill us in. Take your time and and uh, let, let it go. Let it rip. Sure. Yeah. Uh, thank you all so much for, for, for allowing me to be a, be a part. Man, I, I, I do miss engaging with my exponential family. I've done workshops for exponential for years, and I kind of stepped away for a minute. But man, this is just uh, kind of like a family reunion. Thank you all <laughs> so much. Um, so I um, so just to, I, I think the you know uh, your you know your, your your passions and all that come from from maybe your your past or uh, I guess I'm a Wesleyan church, but so your theological quadrilateral would matter, right? So um, the idea is so for me, I I you know I was raised in, in Grand Rapids. Um, I, I was born in Grand Rapids. I said I, was, I became a man in Detroit, um, and basically just uh, just just went through a, a lot of stuff at an early age. Ended up uh, moving out of my parents' house when I was 15 um, to to go move into with the family um, that moved from Chicago to Grand Rapids. And quite frankly, it's like a like a good church point. Um, they were uh, heavily involved with gangs, and they came in exegy at the community. Uh, they came and uh, uh, got a gathering, got a, a starting group, and started having meetings. And I was one of the first twenty in Michigan to be recruited in the in the gang. So to make a long story short, uh, I got caught in a grand jury investigation, um, did a bunch of stuff, and uh, and landed in jail uh, after three of my brothers being shot. And I was ticked off with the world, the church, and every everything. And, uh, and and landed in Detroit, where I, uh, I I God loved me. I sucked. He's awesome, and uh, and I and I accepted that love, you know, uh, 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 in in uh, twenty six years ago. And immediately I landed in a in an urban church on the east side of Detroit, um, and uh, and where I saw a pastor rolling his sleeves up. Um, that's really was get, literally getting in the dirt. Uh, but in loving people and, and loving God and uh, was serious about about serving, uh, being being a servant. And that's where I, I started biting my teeth. But he got up one day, he was an older pastor, and he got up one day and said, yo, these are my words. Yo, <laughs> you uh, you you can't wait for me to, to die if you're looking to to have a pulpit. <laughs> if you're waiting for me to die, you've been waiting a long time. He had about 30 young dudes. Um, that they were ready to, to serve. And like many churches were sitting around waiting for opportunity to get in the pulpit. So he said, go find your pulpit. And that's what I did. So in my process of, of, of things, I was, uh, I became homeless um, and, uh, and literally lost my mind. And uh, so I have a, I have a, a heart for, for, for homeless 
people. And so that's what I did. We're going to go plant in a church in a homeless shelter in Detroit. I'll cut that in my first uh, 25 years old, my first church plant. And didn't know what I was doing. Still don't know what I'm doing. But uh, that, that was where we got started. And from there, I went to, went to Grand Rapids, came back to Grand Rapids. I owned an IT firm at the time. I'm, I'm an IT engineer by trade. So I owned a little IT firm and uh, I was coming back and forth. And uh, my wife and I seen Grand Rapids, seen that the gangs and all that stuff was getting horrible. And quite frankly, I felt like the church was scared of these dudes on the street. I felt like they didn't want to talk to them. They want to talk about them. And they needed somebody that wasn't scared of them, that really loved them for who, where they were. And so we decided to come here, um, left everything, um, left our business, left everything, which was not that smart, and landed here because no one told me that church planters don't make any money. Um, so landed here, uh, and, and then uh, my nephew was murdered. And I felt, again, I got ticked off with the church, feeling as if, man, what, my nephew who was from the street, I'm his uncle coming to my church. Eh. But man, if there was another place where he could go, where is it? And I couldn't find it until I found myself in Chicago um, in Lawndale and spending some time there with, with uh, Phil Jackson uh, at the house church um, in, in Lawndale. And uh, shortly after I was challenged to, uh, to, to plant again. And so we planted the Edge Church in Grand Rapids. The Edge is an acronym. We don't preach about nothing else. We don't do anything else. We're very simple. We're about evangelism, discipleship, spiritual growth, and holistic empowerment. That's all we do. That's all we preach about. And that's, that's what we live. But the Edge is uh, labeled as, a, I guess, a hip-hop church. Uh, we are 95% of our worship is hip-hop. Our The whole thing is designed around the culture um, and, and Maslow's heart give needs, those two together. Um, and we, we build a structure for youth and young adults to thrive. Um, they run the church, I don't. Um, and that's pretty much uh, where we are now. I planted again in Detroit. It fell miserably. Uh, I thought I, I, was, I had a God complex where I thought I could be in two places at once. <laughs> and it doesn't work that well. And uh, so that, that we did that. And then since then, I, I work for the Westland denomination responsible for urban church planting for North America. And later, uh, spent two and a half years uh, in, in England working with urban church planting in England. Uh, uh, Troy, uh, Ralph and I were, <clears throat> excuse me, Ralph and I were in uh, London a couple years ago. I've been chasing Ralph for man, probably going on three years now. And uh, side note, I got lost in London and I uh, ended up in South South London, I think, and uh, Brixton area, and yeah. absolutely fell in love with it. So I might be uh, retiring there one day and yeah. planting a bunch of churches there. So, hey, talk to us about, I heard you say something that many um, urban or inner city church planters who may be watching right now or later, you mentioned failure. And a lot of times we don't talk about church planting failure. I had a church planting failure where I planted a church in Colorado Springs and it was going well for a while. And just a lot of things happened that I had to learn. What did you learn from the failure? I, I, that, I that could be helpful for us. Absolutely. I, I joked about it, but I think sometimes we stretch ourselves thinking that we're Superman or whatever, Flash maybe, where um, uh, in that. What I learned is, is that urban ministry, all ministry should be, but for sure urban ministry is high relationship, heavy relationship. We have so many men specifically that don't have fathers, you become pseudo father. And you can't do that. It's, it's very difficult to do that from a distance. 
I thought that I could I could do that. I, I took the model of, you know, man, I could do do. I can be there. I literally took my whole team to go down, and uh, every week we would go. You know, we would have church, and then we would run down to Detroit. And it was just that I just felt like I, I felt like I cannot over um, overextend myself. That's that's my biggest lesson, and and that and mm-hmm. I underestimated relationships. Underestimated the relationship that it takes. Um, what we have at at home um, here here in Grand Rapids. So. So, okay, so um, I'm, I'm glad you hit on the high relationship piece. Um, what does, like, disciple making look like in the context of a high relational urban context? What have you learned that's, that's helpful when we talk about disciple making? I think one is DTR, defining the relationship. One of the most hurting things is, is that a man being a, a person, man, one, whatever, being disciple, and they never know that they were being disciple. So you see, uh, I'm sorry. Unpack that. So, so I, I've spent a lot of time with a lot of people and doing what I would see as discipleship, and I, I can go into a little bit more um, in, in, in doing, you know, as we go type of discipleship, meaning come with me. We'll unpack the scriptures, of course, but I'm going to show you um, what how to live out the scriptures in life. Um, a person can do that and do it for 10 years, literally. And unless you define the relationship and say, this is what discipleship looks like, point to it in the scriptures and, and then remind, because Vision Leaks, of course, is that in remind, like, yo, this is what we're doing. This is what discipleship relationship looks like. And you need to be doing it as well. It can be it can be misunderstood like we were just hanging out. Like mm-hmm. we're taking notes, Troy. And that that would be so I, I said the DTR was was a huge part of just defining the relationship. And then the next thing would be is are are, are they ready to be discipled? Um, and that's something most Christians, good Christians, should we ask that question because our heart is in it. It's like, well, everybody should be discipled. Make disciples of all ethnos, so all ethnic groups and all nations. Do that. And I get that. However, most people are not ready for it. Most people are not ready to go into the desert and spend two years and do what's necessary to, to grow. So I, what I do is I, I do have a, a a measurement, which is old. Everybody uses this thing, but I use it for discipleship. You got to be fat in order to be discipled. If you're not faithful, available, and teachable, no one can. You can't be disciple. And I'm looking for that. I'm looking for moments. I'll drag you to come out at six o'clock in the morning when I know you don't have a vehicle to meet me somewhere. I need you to get there. Mm. If you want, let's get it. And, and, and then can I give you things to do or can we figure out things that you need to do? And then you actually do what you said you're going to do. And then also, are you teachable? And not just for me, but are you going, you, there's YouTube, there's, the, there's all kinds of stuff. Are you going, are you, are, you, are you taking the nuggets and actually applying those? To me, those two pieces right there, defining the relationship and then also ensuring that the person is faithful, available and teachable is the starting place for discipleship. And I think even defining the relationship also looks like also looks like so how do we know if a person's being discipled that's that's difficult so like a person needs to know their their their, the outcome maybe maybe start with the outcome and say here's the thing that we're going to work on i I use navigators um stuff so i i use the wheel as a principle to say this is where we're going this is these are areas of growth that we're going to look for um, because a person could, so many people, again, still say, I've never been disciple. I'm leaving this church because I'm not being disciple. But do you know what it means to be a disciple? 
you know what it means to be a follower of Christ? You, do, do you, you know, and I'll say one last thing. It's like we skip over the part of teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you to do. We don't like the word obey in our nation. And I think, I think that's what I'm, that if I can teach what Christ commands in my teaching to, to someone that I'm discipling, um, then, then that would be, yeah. I love that. One of the, one of the tools I've been able to innovate around um, because Ralph has been a pioneer in it is what I call the five H disciple making model. Or when when I get together with a group of guys, uh, I'm trying to gauge um, these metrics of obedience. Number one, how did you deal hope this last week? Number two, after we get through reading the scriptures, being able to ask them to, you know, head, summarize what they read in two words. Mm-hmm. Number three, part, what is the Holy Spirit saying? Number four, obedience, what are you going to do about it? Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And then number five, help. How can we pray for you? And so to be able to have that framework like that, like you said, defining a relationship and are they ready? And then and then being able to to grow them up. Let me ask you this question, Troy. And then we're going to have Ralph jump in. Um, One thing that we missed um, in Christianity in America when we talk about disciple making, number one, we forget about disciple making also includes the urban context. Right. what role does disciple making play in trauma? Because we deal with a lot of trauma. Mm. Uh, I believe that I'm probably, I haven't been um, diagnosed, but I probably may wrestle with a little bit of PTSD just because of the culture I grew up in. So what role does uh, trauma informed care play in disciple making? Yeah, man. So my wife is a therapist. She has her own practice. And uh, this is, you know, this, we have this, this type of discussion all the time. Like, you know, the disparities that exist, you know, um, and you, uh, with with recognizing one that there's trauma <laughs> living in, in many cases, living in Beirut every day, almost, you know, like, you know, it's not normal for kids. We walk around with T-shirts with, with people's names and with their friends. They know five, six people that have all been shot and killed. That's not normal. And it, and it shouldn't be. It's been normalized and we've been ignored in the church. Uh, and for the most part, but I, I, I think, you know, for discipleship, again, going back to some of the, you know, you know, lack of fatherness, uh, father, fathers, lack of, you know, resources, lack of just, just lack. It, it just opens up the world of, of trauma. And I think discipleship allows us if we if we if we approach discipleship in a way that is holistic, um, that's that's the other piece. It's like we just feel like we just want to make spiritual God made us mind, body, and spirit. I believe that theologically, and and it's poor stewardship if we're not concerned about it all. And so, our discipleship needs to be holistic. I believe. Um, I believe, and that includes the the mind, the trauma that we deal with. You know that that those of us that are from the block, for real, like the stuff. You know that we have to deal with. And in discipleship, we zoom in. And then I think we I think preparing the disciple makers to to know when it's time to escalate, because if we're if we're not specialists and we're not healthcare professionals, uh, mental health care professionals, then we don't know we don't have a clue, and we're working on people and we're messing up even further. So it's like to me, it's like our discipleship. We are we are the ER 
we are accepting. We're we're taking them in. Um, there's a Stevens Ministry. It's an old school ministry that help people and deploy people into like to help them escalate to the to to get the, the help that they need. I believe discipleship is that. Like, yo, I'm here to say, like, what do you need? You, you okay? You you don't feel like you can work. You don't feel like you can you can have a job. Well, let me help you. I will take you and help you get the get uh, apply for the application. You probably never. You're 33 years old. You probably never filled out an application before. That's discipleship to me. And it's just like, but giving Jesus the credit for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I would, yeah. I, I don't even like you, bro. So I would not right. take you to get a job. I'm selfish. But because right. of the Lord, who's the Holy Spirit that's in me, I'm, I'm going to stick with you until you, until you land a position. And in terms of trauma, direct trauma, I, I think, I think we, we are the people that can say, hey, you know, take away some of the stigma from going to see counselors. Right. I'm, go- glad, I'm glad you're bringing this up because in, in a lot of inner city churches, maybe that are more traditional or been around for a long time, <clears throat> sometimes we assume that preaching is good enough to get people healed. But I've been realizing that there's really three domains of discipleship that like the first domain is what you said is, is relationship. But then the second domain is experiences where, where they where we're bringing them along. We're kicking it with them. We, we, we they're experiencing things that they never experienced. We're taking them out of town. We're taking them to conferences. We're right. taking them. You know what I mean? But then that third experience has to do with opportunity. Yeah. And just like you said, like like opening them up to opportunity to get their trauma dealt with, open them up to opportunity to discover, you know, who God has created them and then how who God's created them to be, and then how to empower them into that personal God-sized calling for their life, bro. So that's, bro, I'm glad you're hitting on that. We we literally have a model that's run through and through our church. It's, it's uh, I'm sure I stole it from, yeah, I did steal it from somewhere and we changed it. But it's called Kapo. We, we just, we really believe in like, so everybody has a calling, let's make disciples, boom. Um, uh, uh, everybody has a need to have an occupation. So every adult needs to have occupation. I do with a lot of artists. So they believe that the occupation has to be their, their their music ministry. And that's not necessarily so. So we like to separate those and say, well, everyone has to have occupation. Then what is your what is your passion? So so what is it that you're passionate about? Because that can be the the, the, the things, thing that you that you do. Then the last O is, is opportunity. And I believe the local church has the greatest opportunity. We've we've hired on about 400 youth and young adults to work in our in our church. To give them up because we know that according to Barna, that they don't like the church too much and the church doesn't like them too much because they're leaving at 17 or so years old. So it's like, so how do we let them know the church actually needs you other than you go into your little room and sit there and shut up? No, no. We put them with disciple making adults and give them opportunities. Oh, you want to you want to change the world, which most of them right. do. Well, we get you around the out, outreach director and let y'all go and, and let you plan right. events and let you do change the world. You know, but you know I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought this up, because when I wrote the book, Side Hustle Pastor, one of the things I said, as Ralph kind of got me connected to Exponential, was was that um, the church is the largest incubator right. for employment and entrepreneurship. And those are the magnets that get or the billboard is like a billboard for people who don't like church. What they say, 40% of people are only, uh, only in organized church, 50% don't even know what the, what, the, what the Great Commission is. And so what you're talking about is like music to my ears. Ralph, what do you got to say, man? You over there taking notes with I your hat. I'm taking notes. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, every time I see an African-American male, I pray for him. Hmm. 
because I'm aware of some of what you guys are talking about, some. And I'm sitting here going, how can people like me help guys like you? Because you're doing frontline stuff. I, I think that some of what you said, Troy, and some of what I know that you do, Myron, you're, 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 you're miles ahead in terms of innovation of white middle-class churches. And, and, I'm, and I'm not some kind of a, you know, anti-white, whatever. I, I, it's just the, the facts are you guys have had to deal with stuff that none of the rest of us have, have yet. But the gangs are coming. They're coming to my neighborhood as much as yours. Uh, it, it, it's just going to be there. But, you know, the, the, the helplessness that I feel is, you know, how, how can I help? What can I do? And, and, you, and I, my, my experience tells me there's been a whole lot of black, white, uh, we'd like to help each other, we want a partner that ends up in disappointment. And I, I'd like to hear you kind of respond to that in, 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 in two ways. I mean, if there isn't disappointment, say so. If there is, describe it. Yeah. And then if there's something you could say to people who look like me, um, who live like me, tell us what to do. I, there's definitely been disappointment. You know, I, I serve in leadership um, in a predominantly white denomination. I am. Um, I was the first ordained pastor in the history of the Wesleyan Church in Michigan, ordained lead pastor ever. Wow. And uh, and I, you know, currently I serve as the uh, responsible for recruiting black pastors to um, Ohio, Chicago, and uh, uh, Michigan. And so, um, so I'm, I'm knee deep in the, in these conversations consistently. Um, and um, there's been a lot of hurt. I, I think a lot of hurt um, from from on both sides though I'm, I'm that dude that that recognizes that it's, it takes two to tangle and i would say from in terms of the some of the hurt is is that i remember being asked you know coming into a room um i was asked i'm typically asked to come into a room like like you two to to provide answers so like you know i'm a consultant you know and so i'm asked to come in to help with urban church planting and i remember sitting there in front of the board and there was this guy he was all edgy so i guess he was the he was the dude that that talks i guess and he was, he was the the gutsy one you know what i'm saying so he was the one everybody's looking at him like he's supposed to say something to me he says to me he said how do we know that you're not going to steal something good night first of all have you looked <sighs> I'm, so I respond, how do know you're not going to steal something, right? <laughs> you know, and, and I, I'm Christian today, so I didn't break your face. I'm just be 100% honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100% honest with you. Like, what do you, what do you mean? And had no, I've walked in so many rooms where I'm invited into the room. Hurt is when I'm, you're invited to the room, but really like, boy, shut up. Don't say nothing. Yeah. We need you to diversify us, but we don't want to have equity. Mm. We don't, we don't want you to, we, you say what we want you to say, when we want you to say it, and how we want you to say it. That's hurtful. Yeah. You, you know, and, and, and to, come, to come to a room and, uh, and, and not, to not, to not what I like to call honor indigenous wisdom. Because I'm the uneducated, facts, black boy from the hood, facts, I have nothing to offer. And that, that, that is the, probably the most hurtful thing that ever happens. And um, 
that, that, that I would say I've had some great experiences, though, you know, um, of, of, of church partnerships, true partnerships where they use relational discipleship, relational partnership to, to overcome some of the phobias, the xenophobia even, but just phobias, whatever it may be. It's like, I, 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 fear, I don't understand. I don't know you. I don't, I don't trust you. Just get that on the table and then let's build from there. Yeah. What's happened is with, the, with two particular um, churches, larger churches, one of them fastest growing church in, 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 in one of the fastest growing churches in Michigan, I, 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 had, I had opportunity to meet with them, sit down with them, and we, for eight years on Wednesdays, once a month, we, we met with the number two guy at that church. He knows my kids. I know his kids. I, I, know, I know the car he drives. I know why he's driving. He knows what I'm about to hire and fire. He knows all these things. So then when we start talking about the inevitable, which is financial support, it, it's not a business transaction. They're not following the best practices of the uh, of ph philanthropy organizations. They're not. No, it's relational. It's like, no, I trust you because I know you. Yeah. You we, know what, we, Troy? You know what, Troy? That's one of the greatest, because to your point, Ralph, when it's like, hey, what can we do to help? One of the things that, that Troy just brought out is, and I've, I've, been a, I've been a victim to this, that if I'm brought into a room or if I'm brought into a, a partnership, one of the first questions that the one who is in power, pr presumably is in power in the partnership, almost often says, how much money do you need? Yeah. What can I do for you? What can I do? You know, obviously you're not saying that, but at the beginning of a partnership. And so what they miss out on is a is, is an even greater question of what can we do for one another? Yeah. Right. And because I, I told my church this Sunday, I, I told the I told the middle class and upper class people in my church, I said, listen, you miss out on what I can do for you if all you're focused on is what you can do for me. And I said, one of the things that I bring to the table as an indigenous hood cat from North Omaha, Nebraska is resiliency. Because, because I, I, because I learned how, and I saw my mama make a dollar out of 15 cents. I saw my, I saw my daddy struggle with, you know, struggle with heroin addiction. I saw when there was no food in the cupboards, you know what I'm saying? I saw how I had to function and live in a, in a, in a poor poverty, low income area. And so I gained this resilience. And so I'm glad you brought that up, Troy, about like how we, um, how we engage and interact with, interact with one another when we're talking about partnership. My question to that is this, is how do you keep in a partnership when it comes to working with suburban and urban, how do you make sure that there's this equality in the partnership, there's this equity in the partnership, and there's this understanding that we're in it together versus I'm here to save you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to, you, you know, you, you get where I'm coming from? Absolutely. I think everybody, because it, it, I, we can't forget that we, everybody has to re recognize and, and stop worshiping mammon. And everybody has to stop worshiping bigger is better. Yeah. Right. And, and because what happens is like we allow you, we allow the bigger guy to suck up the air in the room. And we place them in high places 
in our minds in the way we treat them, the way we do everything, whoever's the biggest, they're the baddest, right? And what, what being a, uh, trained fighters. And what I figured out is no, 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 no. Who's doing the, who's doing the technique training? I will cut you down in seconds, you know, because, because, because I've been working on these basics. So it's not just because you're bigger and, and all this stuff. I think we have to kill that first and stop worshiping the idea like, man, this dude got money. This, this organization has money or this organization is bigger. So then they're better. I, I never forget. So I'm sitting here. We went through challenge, financial challenges. We, we, we're 13 years old and we raised 70% of our funding outside of our four walls. We have a bunch of teenagers and 20 somethings as a primary base. And they're always going because they all, they go off to college and blah, 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 blah. So we will always forever be in the position that, we, that we're doing that. So, so that means brings about challenges. I choose to bring it up to, to those who I, who I love and care about and say, Hey man, we, we have a gap and uh, help me figure out something with the gap there automatic without looking under the hood because they're bigger and better they said oh what you need is a fun fun fundraising strategy listen my wife prior to become a counselor was in fund development for 15 years i don't need your help with fundraising stop assuming making assumptions about that i this is what i need it is based i'm, a, I'm an it guy ask ask probing questions examine it, ask the question before you start troubleshooting. When I start to guess as an IT guy that, oh yeah, because you have this virus in your server, so we're gonna start just ripping out servers and adding new ones, it costs you a lot of money. No, I better troubleshoot to make sure I under, fully understand that. And that's what I think that happens is like, no, but you can't do that if there isn't an understanding of indigenous wisdom. If I don't honor you for who you are, where you are, if I can't honor that dude under the bridge, and be like, no, he's he's he or she has there they they have huge they have value and they're bringing something to the table that I don't have. If I can't do that, man, it's, it's dead in the water. And I've and I found only a few churches that I've been mm. able to partner with to have that type of relationship at, at this point. Yeah, there there are two <laughs> there are two relationships that I have right now. One is with a church that is it's it's a mega church, a lot of money, a lot of affluence, a lot of influence. And yet we're in this partnership together where we are building transitional homes from the ground, fully renovated. And then the, the home belongs to our church. So we're number one, building equity in the community. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then and then keeping people from going back to prison. The second relationship would be between Ralph and I. And one of the first things that um, when we like like when, when I first met Ralph, because I, I was reading Ralph's books before I knew who he was right mm -hmm. back when I was planting churches in Colorado. And, and so when I finally meet him at Exponential, in my mind, I put him at this, taking nothing away from the work he's done. Like he's yeah. level five leader, thousands of churches. But in my mind, you automatically elevate somebody. Yes. Right. So he, 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 he shatters the paradigm of elevation mm. by inviting me into a room and sitting down with me and asking me about me and yeah. then following up and saying, Hey, you want to spend some time together on zoom on zoom for like a couple of weeks. And it, and it, and then over, over the time, it, it really has been less about um, church planting. All that stuff is important. Less about missionary, less about leadership development, less about yeah. all that stuff is important, but it is fundamentally been about friendship. Love it. And, and, and that's where it's like, and through friendship, like genuine friendship, where it's like, I'm not trying to get nothing from him. Yeah, and he's not trying to get nothing from me. 
But what we are trying to build on is a friendship. And out of that has come opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we do this ROTC relationship opportunity trust uh, relationship opportunity trust commitment and conversion you know mm. so it's like this whole idea is you build relationships build the relationship there are opportunities that come that comes out of that you know what I'm saying and then all those opportunities over extended over and over and over you gain some trust in one another I don't think it's the opposite because you got to get you got to extend those opportunity trust then it's from a evangelistic discipleship mentoring then there's commitment and or conversion you know mm. gotta start with that relationship and work through there otherwise you, 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 you you're um there's a whole um there's a whole training and fund development it used to be called Benavon, and later they, they call it um making more money and uh basically we use i, I ran the IT, it department for red cross for a while my wife was contracted with them to to help them change their, their thinking about relational fundraising and it, what, that's what it was it was like, oh, no, you are depending on the old lady sending in money all the time. You didn't have to build relationships. That has changed. Now you mm. need to do relational. Bring them into, bring, don't just tell your story, but bring them into, invite yourself into hearing their story, learning more about them and, and, and exchanging that, but just more relational fundraising. I think, I think, it's, I think it's critical. I think it's critical for, for partnerships. I think it's critical for discipleship. I think it's critical for 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 fundraising just relationships period mm. wow ralph you got anything yeah I'll, you know i'm thinking um i don't trust anybody i don't know hmm. and but to, i'm coming back to to what you said troy about uh, uh, how do i know you're not going to steal something I, I mean that that's sick that is really really sick uh I mean, why would you even say that other than you're just an abject racist? Uh, you, you know, you, but, but we, we have to learn to know each other before we can trust each other. You know, when I first met Myron, it, it is one of his disciples, a guy named Ron Smith, who just, he just, he bubbles. I mean, he's just so excited about everything and he's in my face and thank you for saying this and thank you for saying this. And it's like, wow, these guys got something together that I don't know about. And so for me to get in a room with them and start asking them questions wasn't like some genius on my part. It was genius on their part. But as soon as we started to get to know each other, then there's this, this trust begins to just yes, emerge. But it, it takes time. And here I am. I, I live in San Diego, California. I live, uh, I mean, it's basically uh, a, 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 a white and Hispanic community. Where I happen to live is mostly Iraqis, and but they're all cultural Christians. A few of my neighbors are African American, but they're they're middle class African American, and I I know there's there's hurt around me. I don't know how to get into relationships. I mean, you know, I I show up in a neighborhood where it might actually be more dangerous for me because of the color of my skin to show up there. Uh, the second pothole that you could step into is I'm the great white savior. Um, that kind of nonsense. I, right. I'm really confused. Um, and and I'm, you're not confusing me. You're helping me. But I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here seeing pain around me and going, where do I fit? Where, you know, God, what can I do? Or, or can I do anything? I think yes. Yes and yes. I think, you know, the Myron, I, I met you before. 
um, at Exponential. It was in one of the green rooms or something, and I, I didn't know. I didn't know. I, I sat back next to you, and I and I my, my guy Phil Struckmeyer, who 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 I worked for for the wet. He was over the church planning for the. He talks about you all the time. He's my best friend, and I worked for him when I worked for the denomination, and uh, and so I, I didn't know you, and you just had a conversation with me. You know, and then like, oh, yeah, that's Ralph Moore. You know, I think that's it. It's like there is a universal language that takes. I don't under, uh, I don't I don't know any secular rap songs at all. Yet I pastor a hip hop church. I don't know one, not one. I choose not to fill my body with that filth. Yeah. Right. And but it's like, well, wait a minute. I'm almost I got grandkids, man. How, how do I stay relevant? How, how do I, I don't connect with them? anymore like in that but what keeps me relevant is the love that i have for them i recognize that they're human there's, there's a 70 year old white man named denny johnson who is the most impactful person in a hip-hop church has been for the, since our existence i remember real quick real story we 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 we, we, we sent so many kids off to college um and uh so we were on, doing one of our church in indiana to do a college tour and i pull up I got my hat on and I didn't have as much gray. I didn't have any gray then. And then I'm riding up, my music pounding, boom, boom. You know what I'm saying? I had the, I had a sweet car, you know, and the kids, you know, they, they, they would meet us there. Then he pulls up, dance on, on three and nine. Did this one of these right here. They all run to Denny, leave me and go run to Denny. The reason, the reason for that is, is that the, I believe that contact hours matter. I believe that investing that time, because then he was the one that says, hey, grab a hammer, let's go. He took what he had in his hand and said, hey, let's let's let's, let's talk about it. Here's, here's, here, I gotta say this, my pet peeve is the white person that acts like they, that the paracletos, that Holy Spirit is not uh, indwelling in them, not Holy Spirit, so to coming with the idea like, I don't have anything to offer, that is, that is so nerve wracking to me. It's like, no, you have everything to offer because it's just like, but I have something to offer, but you're coming, you're not coming as a dumb white person and dumb black person. No, no, we're coming, we're coming at, we're coming at men and women of God coming, children of God equals. And it's just like, no, you have something to offer to the, to, to the community. Phil was really good. Phil pastor, a, a, a mega church, you know, a, ch- a town of 3,500 people and his church was 1,500. Right. And planting nine churches out of there, all organic church plants out of there. It's ridiculous. So he came and he was our, he was our uh, executive pastor at, at the edge at, at our urban church. He wanted to, he wanted to come in and like, kind of be like, well, I don't want to bring, I don't, please don't do. I'm like, no, we have, you have so much to offer structures and systems and processes that I didn't go to school for. I didn't have time. Please don't keep that from me because you're trying to be humble with it. You're not coming in your own authority. You're not that smart. You're coming in, you know, you come in with the power of the Lord, come with that and bring all of who you are. And I equally have to accept you. I know as many racist black dudes I do, racist white dudes, just like that. And I tell them just like that. It's like we have to come together. I just, I don't know, I'm, I'm running around. I just, I just feel like when I, when I sit at the, when I, every time I, not every time, but most times I, I come in the situation, I feel like my white brothers and sisters feel like they have to coward in, in urban settings. We know. You know, no, come, come and, 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 you know, be respectful, yeah. love, mm. you know, that's all. I, I just. That's good, bro. That's I know we only have about um, 14 minutes left and I want to reserve some time for this because it really, really matters. Uh, in fact, one of the questions had to do around if you're planning in an urban setting, 
in urban context, would you recommend by vocation? I'm so glad this question was asked. Um, I, w- I want you to answer that, but then I want to talk about how how entrepreneurship, being a side hustle leader, side hustle pastor, is impacting your family, your ministry. So answer that question. Would you recommend it? And then tell us what you're doing, because I want our audience to support what you're doing. I think being bivocational is 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 probably becoming more of a norm. Um, you know, we have we have the big push of church planting, and I, I think my philosophy has changed quite a bit. Where I just felt like, man, the urban pastor never had, not most urban pastors never had a salary, right? It was just where I, where I come from, like dudes wouldn't collect in salary, and that. So I was just like, well, man, what if you can give all of your time to it? to the church and not give it away and have to go and work in a factory for 60 hours and then give your leftovers to the church. How much so powerful would it be? I think it's a hybrid. I think, I think, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a clear answer to what a person should do. I, I, I think, I think it's a hybrid though. I think there's great value in ensuring we know that finances is going to be a problem when you're talking about having a family go and plant. So, so to eliminate the problem, if that means what, in the meantime, I need to work part-time or full-time so that we don't create a financial burden. It, 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 it makes no sense and, and doesn't do the church any good to say, well, I'm just committed to the church plant to be fully vocation, vocational ministry, and I'm just going to do it and, 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 that, and then you destroy your family. You know, um, and many of us, I've done that before, you know, and just try to make that happen. So I would say, I would say it's depending, depending on the season. You know, I went the first uh, year without a dime from from my church, you know, without any money. I had to figure that out. And uh, and, and I, but I, I do think um, being bivocational. Um, yeah, I don't have a clear answer. I guess I'm just going in circles. But I really feel like it depends on the season, depends on the family situation, you know, um, financially. Yeah. But I would really, I would really be looking more so to say, look at your financial health, and hopefully, yeah. they're planning assessment that they're figuring some of those things out. Be able to say, right. okay, this is where this family is financially, blah 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 blah, and make some rec- some strong recommendations and through their coaching, that right. solid coaching to say, based on your family situation, you know, um, you, you you can, you know, you you, you may want to consider doing this. So you I'm know, sorry, I'm clear over over the years, Troy, because um, I've. I don't, I don't know. I think I've been in ministry maybe 12 years or, no, or not. And there's there's this philosophy or or my or framework that you've kind of hit on a little bit that, you know, you're just called to the to, to be a pastor. Yeah. And it's like I'm no longer drinking that Kool-Aid because yeah. like I'm, I'm not just a pastor. Like if I had to be a pastor and plant churches for the rest of my life, I don't think I would ever be satisfied because like. Because like you said, it's, it's your situation, it's your health, it's all those things. And then I also think it's your calling or your capacity. Straight up. Right? And then, because I, I like to say it like this, my number one mission in life is to inspire hope in every person that I meet. And I get to express it through church planting. I get to Absolutely. express it through launching, you know, viable companies and, and things like that. Would you speak to... um what you're doing with uh, with your e-commerce and, and how that's kind of affecting what you're doing and impacting w- what you're doing. Yeah. So as a church, we've invested time, talent and treasure and in, in tra- strategy to uh, 17 companies that have been started through our church. 
Um, and some of them are still running and profitable and, and uh, making some money and some, some are not. Um, but the idea is, it's like, man, people have ideas, good ideas. They just, man, if the church could, could, could quit being so concerned about Sunday morning and be concerned about people um, and, and invest some time, talent and treasure um, and, and write checks um, to, to help these specifically young people um, to, to, to dream again, especially in the urban context to dream, you know, just, just dream, man. Like, what do you want? What do you want to create? All right. We're going to create, you know, whatever. And so we, we've done that. And so the 17th business, um, and if, a lot of it has been like, um, arts based. We have a lot of artists and blah, 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 blah. And we have music studio, we have video production companies, we have marketing stuff and stuff like that. We've done that. But this one was a, was an area where I, I wasn't used to, which was retail. And that was creating a brand, uh, a clothing brand called hustle, pray, eat. And uh, my nephew, he, he, he came up with it. We trademarked it. We went after it and just started learning a whole lot. And thanks, thanks to Myron, just, you know, always being the ear, let me, uh, and learn get get some nuggets i appreciate that um but we're learning a lot about you know how a brand can be more than just a t-shirt um we know that our brand is a brand that motivates people to to work hard and smart to seek god always and to take care of our families and others mind body and spirit that's what so pray eat means and it's just been it's just been a blessing man we've um we have artists and then myself i speak a lot so we we, we were able to cheat the system and because, you know, between us, we're like, you know, in front of 100,000 people, that's a lot of T-shirts you can sell. But COVID hits. Right. We were like, yeah, we're going to do this. We didn't even care about online, yo. We didn't care if we had a website. We just knew you had to have one. So we had one. And so, but we didn't need it per se. But COVID hit. We had to bring everything home. We had to learn how to ship. We, we never even shipped anything. We would outsource it all. And, and do that. And so what, what's happened with, with that is I've always been bivocational. So I have that. And I'm a consultant, I'm a speaker, author, and this other stuff. And then I'm, a, you know, I, I do my thing with the, with the denomination and stuff. So I've always had these, these things, but this is different where I had to completely humble myself. So I don't know jack about this. Wow. I know nothing. I, I, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. So, selling, selling t-shirts. Like <laughs> what? Uh, you know, and it's, it's been, I think I went on a sabbatical not too long ago. Uh, first one in 20, 20 something years. And I got got really used this brand to to help me understand get to get life and work balance to understand what it means to do that. So I, I, it means a lot to me. Um, more than it's more than just clothing. It's, it's it's here to motivate. So I'm I'm going to ask a question, but I, I I don't want urban church planners who are watching and even suburban church planners. This is very huge. What he said is he said that 17 businesses. I love it. I want to do another hour on this. We got to have you back because we're just graduating five new entrepreneurs this Sunday. That'd be 25 businesses in two years. And then we're, we're simultaneously launching what we call the dream factory. <clears throat> People who necessarily don't want to maybe start businesses, but they want to be, they, they want to live mission, mission or be launched as missionaries. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's beautiful because the more we, like, like what you said, helping people to dream again, right? And I want to encourage any of you, if you're an urban church planner or a suburban church planner, I want to encourage you to maybe reach out to, to Troy to see what he's learned about launching businesses. We've built a whole franchise model that we're about to export here in the next year or so as well. But I just think it's very, very important. 
um, for us, the, the principle behind what you said, apart from starting businesses, is helping people discover their own dream. Because yeah. like the problem is the pastor got his dream. He pastoring. Man. Right? And everybody else is in the is in the, are in the seats supporting his dream. And so to hear you say 17 businesses working with young people, man, it's phenomenal. The, the, the last question, and then I'll get a floor to Ralph after this question, um, comes from our audience. And it's simply this, hey, this this person says they're in a an urban setting. The, the and the the uh, and uh there's a saturation of churches um they're like do you have any wisdom or strategic wisdom on what they should do hey let me jump into that one i'm in a place where two percent of the people go to church Jeez. and there's a whole bunch of new churches getting started they're, they're probably like 15 or 20 and some guys wanting to come from florida or someplace and find a church and someone told him, don't go to San Diego. It's already oversaturated with church plants. Yeah. Well, 98% of the population can just go to hell then. We don't care. Man. Uh, I mean, that word saturation sucks. Man, it does. I, 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 did, the, I, was, I, I did some work in Buffalo. I, was, I forget how long I was in Buffalo. But it was because it was, I was so sick of hearing that. I actually did the numbers. And and I, I'm just a nerd like that, and I start. I always say I'm a, I'm I'm a mix. Between, I'm just like a, a just a hood nerd, you know what I'm saying? And I just feel like, man, the numbers don't lie. And it's just like if we, I think I'm I'm just gonna be guesstimating, but I, I think the numbers came down to something like, man, even if we packed every church with 400 people, we still needed like another 200 churches or something. Like it was something ridiculous to get the amount of people that are not that do not confess Jesus Christ as Lord. We still need more churches. A dude named Mark yeah. Rivet, and I'm sure he stole it from someone, but it says we need all kinds of churches for all kinds of people. All kinds of people. So exactly. it's not it's not necessarily even that, like, even the number, the numbers match or whatever. And like, man, we got enough churches. with, But no, no, there's people that are still on the margins that need a specific type of church right. that, 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 they, that, that will draw them Culture to the king, you know, yeah. and that's that's what it's all about. I just think um, so. I I I I'm so sick of that language because th the numbers don't make sense. Yeah. Well, there's an oversaturation of church buildings. Yeah, yeah. There is. <laughs> Come on, man. So you know what? One of the problems that I get into when we discuss uh, Matthew 28 is the word ethne, people groups. Yep. So uh, Troy, you're you're pastoring uh, probably predominantly African American. Hip, but okay, not nope. that's good, that's good. But it's hip hop. Yeah, the okay. yeah the. Mm -hmm. So, what kind of people? Let me make sure I ask this question right. What kind of people look like your people? Yeah. But don't like hip hop music that are in your community because right. your church is never going to reach them. We right. need another one down Shut the road. Up. You know, Shut people up. don't get that. Shut up. We are we are in a seventy five percent Latino community. Ah. 75%. And I, I did my good church planning thing is I went in and exegeted the context and I started with the tribal leaders. I went to tribal leaders, asking them, people, the stakeholders in the community, asking them, y'all know me from doing work over in the city for, for quite a while. You know what we do and what we're bringing. Do you feel like we, we are bringing something that's not needed? Do we need to have Spanish speaking services? Do we need to blah, 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 blah. And I asked, asked the question, asked the question. And then the answer was we basically without them having this conversation, they're saying like, no, we have all Spanish speaking churches. We need English speaking churches. Yeah. 
It was amazing. And they said, hey, these are second, third generation. Okay, our first generation, they're cool. But the second, third generation, they're not, they're not, they're not, they're not there. They're not looking for the traditional uh, Latino, you know, Spanish speaking church. They, they are looking for something that's cultural. And what we figured out is like, man, hip hop has, hip hop is, is I'm 50 years old, right? And, and I, was, I was born into this culture. It was already around 12 years before I was born. So you're not talking about little kids. Most hip hop music is purchased by white teenage females. Most of your B-boys are Latinos and Asians. You, you get what I'm saying? Most of your DJs inside the club are white dudes. Yeah. So it's multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational. And for us, it was like, man, this is a dope opportunity. God can invade. Let's mm. get it. Wow. This has been fun, man. Yep. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's good. Well, let me ask you this, Troy. Um, two things. Where can people find you if they have more questions? Talk to us about Hustle, Pray, Eat. Where can they go and support you, show some love? And then do you have any parting words for us before we land the plane today? Yeah, I would just say my parting words would be, um, man, I, I would say this. Multiple revenue streams for churches. Suburban and urban, I work with them both. It, it has to become a norm because I think our world is, it is changing uh, underneath us. And, uh, and if, we're not, if we're not shifting with it and we're expecting just the offering plate to do it, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to be in trouble and we're not going to be able to keep, keep up with what's necessary. I would say with, uh, with contacting me, I would say the same place. Go to Hustle, Pray, Eat on Facebook or Hustle, Pray, Eat on uh, Instagram and you can, you can connect with me there. Um, to to ask, for I do I do have one request for you, uh, Big Bro. You got to send Ralph a T-shirt, though. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. you got to send Ralph and Todd Wilson a T-shirt. I w- I would do that. I'll do that. I'll, you give me the dress, I'll send it right out. All right. And I, I would say I, I would ask you just to do this. It is fascinating how many people will stop you. You will not. You cannot wear the shirt without someone asking you. It, it's just. Just, just the truth. It's the, it's the shirt that motivates. People will ask you, or you get the Christian now, like, or someone wants to say something like, "That's a good job." Or what does it mean to hustle and work hard? So, yeah, I'll, I'll get, you, I'll get you, I'll get you on if, if I can just get the data back. Then you tell me, yeah. you know, what are people saying? That'll be awesome. For sure. Well, hey man, Ralph and I, if if they continue to um, uh, allow this this web this uh, webinar to go, we're gonna have you back. Yeah, we'd love to. I, I didn't know anything about it. I would love to, 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 to be a part of just, just listening to other speakers. So I'll get the information from you just to be able to, to chime in or just to be able to ask questions when other people get on. So thank you for having me. Awesome. Thanks, man. Well, hey, to our Exponential family, Ralph and I, we just want to say thank you so much for spending time uh, with us. Be sure to go to, to ralphmore.net, go to Exponential, get all the resources, um, stay connected. There are a, I, the, the thing I love about Exponential is it is a, a, a uh, how do I want to say it, a buffet of content yeah. designed to help you accelerate what you're yeah. doing in chatting practically. So we'll see you guys a little later. Thank you so much for joining in. We love you. We'll see you later.